Abolition. Abolition. Today. I'm talking about the Constitution, uh, that 233-year-old rule book for American life and governance that is especially relevant right at this moment. Consider this. The inauguration process detailed in the 20th Amendment, the impeachment process that is described in Article 1, Sections 2 and 3, and the 2020 election results were certified by the states and counted by Congress, all of it in accordance with Article 2 and the 12th Amendment. Here's the problem. For all of its wisdom, the Constitution is in trouble for this reason. Most Americans do not know what's in it. We the people have been talking a lot about our founding document. This document. Republicans and Democrats say they're protecting it. We love the Constitution. We love America. And President Trump referenced the Constitution no fewer than 16 times ahead of the riot at the Capitol this month, urging supporters to fight a supposedly unconstitutional election. You're sworn to uphold our Constitution. We are living in unprecedented times. Jeffrey Rosen is a CBS News constitutional law expert, the person we turn to for knowledge of our nation's charter. The Constitution is a 7,500-word blueprint for America, establishing our national government, basic rights, and a process for addressing our problems, at least in theory. The Constitution provides as many questions and answers, and it provides a forum or a platform for civil dialogue and debate so we can peacefully resolve those questions. Rosen is also president of the National Constitution Center, where web traffic is at an all-time high, which isn't exactly a good thing. What does it say about us as a country that at this moment in time, so many of us had to go to the National Constitution Center to refresh our memory of the document that undergirds our country? There's no doubt that we are in a crisis of civic education. The framers knew that the consequences of constitutional ignorance and being guided by passion rather than reason were armed mobs. Well, we just saw that they were right about that. Every immigrant to this country has to pass a civics test to become a naturalized citizen. So we borrowed some basic questions from that very exam. We've got some trivia questions. Can we ask you a few? To get a sense of just how deep a crisis we're in. How many people are in the House of Representatives? Twelve? Fourteen? The House? Uh, no, no, not the, the, the whole house. country? Uh, Eighty. We assumed Americans by birth might do at least as well as Americans by choice. But can you name the three branches of government? Judicial? Yeah, that's one. Oh, my husband's going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, the vast majority of people were stumped. Who is the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. So we have nine of them? We have nine of them, and there's a chief. I don't know. The Chief Justice? Yeah. Trump. The Chief Justice is not Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes their fellow Americans tried to help. Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. John? Roberts. Yes, there it is. He got it. Well done. But it was clear most people could use a refresher. Who signs a bill into law? It's not officially a law until this person signs it. Uh, what do you call his name again? Oh, boy. oh, you know this. And many of us haven't read the Constitution in years, if ever. Ooh, it's been a minute. It's been a minute, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, probably middle school? Never, never. Never read it. I'm sure hardly anybody read it. 
And sure enough, a 2019 survey found only four out of every 10 Americans could pass the citizenship test. That feels like an embarrassment to me. You could call it a scandal. I call it actually a proxy for a larger set of problems. Raj Vinokota runs the nonprofit that conducted that survey. The Institute for Citizens and Scholars aims to reimagine and rebuild the field of civic learning in order to reconnect America to its constitutional roots. So you need to understand how our government works and elections and so on. But you also need to understand why we set it up that way. And if you don't understand both of those pieces, you are going to be in trouble and you can't actually function effectively in our society. What worries me the most about constitutional ignorance is the same worry that the framers had, that without constitutional education, the republic will collapse. The republic will collapse. revolution wasn't televised in the 60s. Uh, is it going to be televised in the 90s? Well, you know, the, the, the catchphrase, what that was all about, uh, the revolution will not be televised, that was about the fact that the first change that takes place is in your mind. You have to change your mind before you change the way you live and the way you move. So when we said that the revolution would not be televised, we were saying that like that, that, that the thing that's going to change people is something that no one will ever be able to capture on film. It'll just be something that you see and all of a sudden you realize, I'm on the wrong page. Or I'm on the right page, but I'm on the wrong note. And I've got to get in sync with everyone else to understand what's happening in this country. Uh -huh. But I think that the black Americans have been the, the, the only real diehard Americans here because we, we're the only ones who who carried the process through the process, that everyone else has sort of like skipped stages. We're the ones who marched, we're the ones who carried the Bible, we're the ones who carried the flag, we're the ones who tried to go through the courts. And, 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 and being born American didn't, didn't seem to matter because we were born Americans, but we still had to fight for what we were looking for. And we still had to go through those channels and those processes. Abolition. Abolition. Today. Abolition. You just heard... CBS News report, Nobody Knows the Constitution, followed by Gil Scott Heron, The Revolution in Your Mind interview. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center here in Sumter, South Carolina, right where the Civil War's first shots rang out. Yeah, we got we got a good one planned tonight. So, in last week's episode, we were joined by uh, Professor Manisha Sinha, who is the James L. and Shirley A. Draper Chair in American History at the University of Connecticut, and she's a leading authority on the history of slavery and abolition and the Civil War and Reconstruction. Professor Sinha proves uh, provided some powerful answers to our questions, but unfortunately, our time was short with her. And we are definitely working on bringing her back to the show to answer more questions on the history of slavery and abolition. So it's our first broadcast for National Poetry Month, and we'll be honoring the legendary wordsmith Gil Scott Heron uh, and discussing the critical role of proper perspectives. We know, like he knew, that the first revolution is when you change your mind. 
that's something that can't be televised. So tonight we'll share some of Gill's music and poetry while tying it all together in a nice, neat slavery abolition bow, giving you more than enough reasons to rethink, reconsider, and replace what you thought you knew with what you'll know now. As John Maynard Keynes uh, said, when I'm wrong, I change my mind. What do you do? And, of course, we'll cover the news, discuss the latest events in the slavery abolition movement, enjoy educated discussions, and bring the words of the abolitionist ancestors back to life for a new generation in our Bridging the Gap segment. If you're a fan of Gil Scott Heron, spoken word, freedom, and real solutions to the core critical issue facing our nation and the world today, you're at the right place. So before we get started, Max, tell us what you think of the opening track, and how has your week been? Man, um, 78% of the country is wrong right now, you know? And I say that based mm-hmm. on the poll that was taken by Worth Rises on behalf of the Abolish Slavery National Network that showed that only 22% of Americans were even aware that there's an exception clause in the 13th Amendment. And I see that in regards to the opening track where they were showing how you people don't even know the Constitution. We we just, with that right. poll alone, we show that you don't know about the thing that allegedly ended slavery for you. The reason that you're able to walk the streets without somebody, you know, putting a chain on you and you don't even know what it says, let alone right. the rest of your rights. Um, there's uh, 27 amendments currently. And the largest portion of them deal with your rights as a citizen. It's up to you to know about them. If you don't know about them, you don't know when your rights are being violated. You know what I mean? Saying I know right. your rights when you don't is like saying I know Kung Fu when you're about to get your behind kicked and you don't. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it ain't going to help you, Facts. bro. <laughs> so, you know, the Constitution is one of the most important documents or the most important document in this country. All our laws are based on that. If a law is written and it doesn't fit the criteria laid out by the Constitution, guess what? It's no longer a law. It's unconstitutional. That's right, unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And you have certain rights like the Fourth Amendment, guaranteed protection from unreasonable searches and seizures. That's not being protected, though, because they're definitely doing, like, license plate scannings and no-knock warrants right. and all kinds of stuff. Right. Stop, stop and frisk, like they're starting again in New York. Um, Sixth Amendment guaranteed your right to a fair and speedy trial by a jury of your peers. Uh, that's not yeah. happening. Ninety-five percent of the time, it's always a plea bargain, right? So that's being – Boy, you're just sitting there waiting forever, as we heard Dr. Uh, Fatah told us. You know, he's been there three and a half years. Those are constitutional crises we're talking about. And the majority of the country don't even know they have the right, let alone it's in a crisis and about to be destroyed completely. (laughs) That's funny to think of. Like, wow, man. Like, you know, do you know you got two legs? Do somebody got to tell you that? (laughs) Normally, that you have two legs? (laughs) <laughs> anyway, that, right. that was what I was thinking with the opening. And then Gil Scott, of course, uh, saying the revolution begins in your mind. When you change your mind, when you're presented with new information, you're supposed to do what? Change your mind. You change your mind. You don't on a hill and say you shall not pass. Don't tell me about how uh, this earth rotates around the sun. I'm sticking with sun rotates around the earth. 
that's not how it works, man. Exactly, because I heard this guy say one time. What do we want to hear? Language. What are we fighting? Language. 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 Word. So Brother Gill was definitely on point with that. And we're hoping, uh, no, we're not hoping. We know we, we are capable. If you're listening to this show, especially if you're a first-timer, by the time you're finished with this program, you're going to know everything you need to know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're going to have a damn good time learning it. Uh, Absolutely. So yeah, as far as this week has been, uh, it's always busy, especially as we move forward towards November when we have so many states on the ballot who uh, have bills to end slavery. But we had a state operations meeting Saturday. You know, that's where all the states come together. And we just strategize and we work together on getting these things done. And we decided a bunch of us are going to converge on Vermont for Juneteenth. Like, we're just going to come in from all these different states. Oh, yeah. To the state where it all began. See, Vermont is also on the ballot to end slavery. They were the ones who started it all. The very first exception clause. And there's three of them in the Vermont constitution that traces back to 1777 and that butterfly effect that they created uh reinvented slavery literally right uh, so we're all going to show up there california be in the house oregon coming in ohio coming in vermontians is going to be like what the hell is going on here sort of like what they said uh in response to the hearings and they were like exactly. there's so many people calling from the outside we keep telling them how important this is to us, that this is where it all began. If we can finish it here, we can finish it anywhere. 245 right. years, unquestioned, went through it. And they changed their constitution a couple times during that period. They even changed areas involved with that exception, uh, like gender neutral, going gender neutral instead of just saying men or women. Uh, but they left right. the exception clause then. And so this year you get to vote them out. You said yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, definitely. Uh, and I, I believe since it's that's going to be on that Sunday, I'm not sure yep. if we're doing the event Saturday or Sunday, but we'll definitely do a live broadcast from Vermont. You know, so that'll be really exciting. And to have, you know, just having uh, ASNN members from all over the country being there. So it's just going to be a great event. Uh, as far as this week, uh, just the normal, you know, the high, my highlight of the week is, of course, we're in the month of Ramadan now, so definitely uh, Ramadan Mubarak, blessed Ramadan to any and all of our listeners who are participating in the month of Ramadan, you know, uh, so that's my excitement for the week, you know, uh, looking forward to tonight's program because, you know, you and I are huge Huge, huge students of Gil Scott. You know, you right. uh, many people date. Yeah, students of his. Not fans, mm-hmm. but students of his. And, you know, most people summarize him up in that revolution that will not be televised. But I, I read something really good on a, a write-up on that album, Pieces of a Man, and... Uh, the person writing this, he explained why that song didn't even really fit the rest of the album because the rest of the album was just dealing with all kinds of issues. And, you know, I, I sent a little notice to the guy. I'm like, but, you know, the contents of the song is talking about the rest of the album. 
you know, when it said, you know, you won't be able to, you know, and all the things that people get distracted by, you know, whether Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, <laughs> as he's talking right? about, you know, the, or, you know, the things that we always get distracted from, like this week, you know, every last week when we spoke on the show, we spoke about Jay Prince and his call to boycott the Oscars and how he he was talking about modern slavery and the next thing. Right, but I'm saying we 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 mm-hmm. we made mention of it last week on our broadcast, and then that mm-hmm. very same night, it seems that everyone got distracted from that issue that there was really no talk about it because everybody was spending the entire week talking about a slap, you know. And to me, it was scripted. I hold the opinion that it was all scripted because we're dealing with actors and actresses and. You know, it just always seems like whenever something really huge that goes against the system gets implemented, there's always some foolishness for everybody to get caught up debating, you know, whether it's the slap or whether it was the slap that happened when Jay-Z and Beyonce and all of them were in the elevator or the Kevin Hart situation when the little, the young sister wound up dead at a party in D.C., I believe, you know, then everybody was talking about the Kevin Hart getting caught cheating or whatever. We always get distracted, and it ties into the mind. When we start talking about changing the mind, we have to change about the things that draw all of our attention. Some people are just so distracted by TV shows and, you know, just latest celebrity gossip, and they miss out on the most important things. So this is why you have Americans walking around not knowing the Constitution, not knowing what their rights are, Max. I'm with you on that. Um, let me tell people a little bit about uh, the legend, uh, Gil Scott Perron. Mm-hmm. Uh, this comes from blackpast.org. A poet, novelist, musician, and songwriter Gil Scott Perron was born in Chicago. His birthday just passed, matter of fact, April 1st, which is one of the reasons mm-hmm. why we're doing this, 1948, to parents Bobby Scott Perron, a librarian, and Giles Gil Perron, a Jamaican professional soccer player. And he grew up in Lincoln, Tennessee, and the Bronx, New York, where he attended DeWitt Clinton High School. Uh, he also went to Lincoln University in Pennsylvania and received an MA in Creative Writings from John Hopkins University. By the age of 13, Scott Haran had wow. written his first collection of poems. In 1968, he published the first his first novel. Now, I was only uh, four years old. And <laughs> he published his first <laughs> novel. The Vulture, a murder mysteries. Uh, central themes include the devastating effects of drugs on urban black life. Four years later, he published his second novel, The Nigger Factory, 1972, mm-hmm. which is set on the campus of historically black college, HBCU. It focused on the conflicting ideologies among the traditional Eurocentric trained administrators and the younger, more nationalistic students founders of Members of Justice for Meaningful Black Education, the uh, MJUMBE, and the moderate students and their leaders, their leader, Earl Thomas. Uh, he is known for his spoken word performances. Uh, Gil uh, Scott Haran walked onto the international stage simultaneously, as did many of the black arts movement poets, including uh, my mentor, Amiri Baraka, Hakeem Mudabibuti, Sonia Sanchez, and Nikki Giovanni, just to name a few. He shared their conviction that art must be functional. Therefore, as artist and communal leader, he must embrace his role 
as a significant political voice committed to the liberation of black people. And Scott Haran's confidence voice resonated as well with that of Malcolm X, the militant prophet leader of the Nation of Islam, who inspired a generation to address the needs and conditions of the urban black masses. Uh, the electric, edgy, angry sounds he created with his fusion of soul, jazz, blues, and poetry, often in collaboration with musician Brian Jackson, who you'll also hear later tonight, made him a forerunner to a later generation of rap artists, particularly social conscious rappers as Tupac Shakur, Jay-Z, Common, and Kanye West. His last album was We're Still Here in 2011 in a Manhattan hospital on May 27th, 2011. He was 62 years old. And in May of 2021, he was selected as an inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Again, that's from blackpast.org. That's the man right there, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, and like you were saying, all of the uh, leaders were coming out together from the arts in that period, like uh, Mary Baraka and the last poets, uh, you know, were all coming together and really elevating. They realized that they had a responsibility to their community, to their society, to their nation, and to the world. I mean, you could just do some poetry, you could just have some talent for the sake of having it, or you could use it purposefully. What did Amiri say? Uh, Art is a weapon. Art is a weapon. Mm -hmm. Art is a weapon. It it can also be pretty damn funny, too, man. As a matter of fact, one of the tracks I want to play is about that. Uh, you know, it's funny, not so much as a joke, but that he nailed it so cleanly. And then we keep seeing these same dumb things happen again and again. You know, back in the right. day, he was suffering, the diaspora was suffering terribly. Uh, and they were sending people to the moon, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And now here we are today with they want to colonize Mars. And the same suffering is still going on. So let's go ahead and get into our next track. with him. Uh, it's a short one. Uh, you hear it, and we'll talk about it on the other side. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. And tonight we're honoring Gil Scott Haran. Abolition. Abolition. The billionaire Elon Musk is speeding up his plan to send people to Mars. He now predicts a manned spacecraft will reach the red planet by 2022. That's three years sooner than his earlier estimates. Now, Musk wants to colonize the planet but it's going to cost billions of dollars. Is it realistic? Andre-Pierre Duplessis reports. We have a poem here. It's called Whitey on the Moon. (laughs) And uh, it was inspired, it was inspired by some whiteys on the moon. (laughs) So I want to give credit where credit is due. (laughs) That's it. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. You know, the man just up my rent last night because Whitey's on the moon. No hot water, no toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. I wonder why he's up in me because Whitey's on the moon. Well, I was already giving him 50 a week, and now Whitey's on the moon. 
taxes, taking my whole damn check. The junkies make me a nervous wreck. The price of food is going up. And as if all that crap wasn't enough, a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell, and Whitey's on the moon. Was all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon? How come I ain't got no money here? Hmm, Whitey's on the moon. You know, I just about had my fill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills, air mail special. To Whitey on the moon. Abolition. Abolition. Today. <laughs> so you just heard a clip of uh, Elon Musk going to colonize Mars, and you heard the classic from Gil Scott Heron, Whitey on the Moon. <laughs> uh, you know, like you said, Vax, it's like laughable if it wasn't so serious. Exactly. Um and you know, you mentioned today is the Grammys uh, uh, that they're giving out, and mm-hmm. uh, every year they have the spoken word category. You know how many of those Gil Scott Heron won? Not a damn one, <laughs> because every mm-hmm. year they give it out to somebody who's reading a book, like Bill Clinton or Barack Obama reading their book. When there's an entire right. uh, spoken word community all over the world. Who just look on like what the hell <laughs> wasn't I right. good enough? You know they gave him a Grammy, but they gave him a lifetime achievement Grammy uh, for Gil Scott Heron, and then put him of course into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But he wasn't right. a rock and roller; he was a spoken word artist, and to this day we're still having problems uh, being recognized as artists in the Grammys. They keep giving them out to people who's reading damn books. Man. Yeah, and it just doesn't make any sense, man. It, it just doesn't, doesn't make, make any, any sense. sense. And we got all these legends around us going unrecognized. Some friends of ours over the years, like Queen Sheba, uh, have been, uh, Beth Sheba Rem, have been pushing to get the Grammys to recognize. So they started a rolling spoken word artist. They start submitting spoken word artists. And a number of us have been nominated, but we still haven't been winning them. <laughs> Hell, I was nominated for a Grammy, <laughs> like literally. Right, right. I remember that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, when they first started to push, I was one of the names in the hat. I knew I wasn't going to win anything, but it was nice uh, to be recognized by my peers who submitted uh, my material in for consideration. Uh, but I shouldn't have won it. It should have been Gil Scott Haran or Abby O'Donnell, right. Oye Wole, you know what I mean? Or George right. Me, you know what I mean? Or right, like or Mary Baraka. Mary Baraka. Sonia you know? Sanchez, you know. Uh, Nikki Giovanni. Nikki Giovanni. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Like all of you those were Grammy worthy. And, and, and looking at the song Whitey on the Moon, like he's he's really showing the contrast. You know, between the two worlds. Right. You know, the haves and the have nots. Yeah, and I mean, he's talking about, like, people can't meet their bare necessities, but yet there's money to put someone on the moon. You know, and I I think it's like a perfect segue to that uh, racial wealth gap clip that we have. 
because it, it ties right into it, that he's pointing it out. They got all this money to go to the moon, and, you know, we talk in the 60s, July 20th, 1969, where they allegedly landed on the moon. You know, that's an argument for another day. But uh, just looking at the conditions of the people, you know, in the during that era, the 60s, you know, the 70s, and Look comparing it to now, there. that's what I was going to say. You, can't, you compare it to the same situation that's going on here, you know, where you have uh, the people and Eli's own, Elon's uh, company, you know, where they had the former union. And I was so happy to see not only that they were uh, able to form Jeff the Bezos. union, but the person. Jeff Bezos, yeah. Right. Amazon. Yeah, with Bezos, with Amazon, just seeing uh, the person that got – he was fired from them two years ago because he was trying to organize, and they made him the first president of the union. And I was really happy to see that, you know, and just to see them unionize, and I see all the stuff that the people go through at work there, you know, and talking about that wealth gap. And when you start talking about – the wealth gap, and you start looking at the prisons, it gets far worse. You know, that many people are housed in prisons that have no water, no lights. I mean, they've had riots for things. You know, they've gotten uh, food with maggots in it. You know, all these uh, types of things water, are happening. Lead in the water and uh, no right. air conditioning and, and heat upwards of 130, 140 degrees inside of yeah. a Solitary confinement cell, but it it drives people mad. Clear, clear Eighth Amendment violations, but at the same time, we have these people competing with their little spaceships. Right, and and it also that track that you're you're talking about. um, It also speaks to the current state of mind for reparations. You know, when we were organizing the Abolish Slavery National Network, we were very clear, and I've said this to people. We can't own slavery abolition. That's just not how it works. You don't own that. Uh, People are going to want to help, and they're going to want to help in the ways they want to help. They don't need to necessarily be associated or even down with you. You know, it's just the way it is. Reparations is like that, too. You know, nobody can own reparations. We can have multiple conversations from multiple uh, areas. But at the same time, we also have to keep in mind that you can't have reparations without abolition. How can you possibly repair while the crime is still going on? If you're not stopping the crime before you solve or settle the deal, you're certainly not going to end it after you settle the deal. That's going to cost you extra. (laughs) You know? So hopefully this track will speak to people uh, in the reparations community as well as explain the racial wealth gap. So let's go ahead and get into it. The uh, Racial Wealth Gap Explained from Netflix. Here's a clip from it, followed by Gil Scott Harams, who will pay reparations on my soul. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. African Americans were well for 246 years. For 100 more years, a patchwork of laws excluded them from building wealth, and discrimination continues today. The wealth gap has grown so large over so many years, it would take something truly radical to close it. How do you close this gap, this huge gap in wealth between whites 
You any don't. Tax. Reparations. Right? Reparations. How much are we talking about here, Tanasi? Well, we don't actually know, although I, I will well, take good. a check on behalf of myself. <laughs> Is anyone on the stage for reparations for slavery for African Americans? Are you? I am. The Bible says we shall be and must be repairers of the breach. And a breach has occurred, and we have to acknowledge that. Who will pay reparations on my soul?
Abolition. Abolition. Today. Another, another, another banger. So you just heard a clip from a Netflix documentary. It explains the racial wealth gap, and that was followed up by Gil Scott Heron, who will pay reparations on my soul. And just listening to that track, Max, when he, when he, you know, first he talks about, you know, these fine speeches coming out of the White House written on cue cards that were never really there. But the heat in the summer are there and the freezing cold is there. And then when he went and he said, you know, because I don't dig segregation, but I can't get integration, I got to take it to the United Nations, someone to help me away from this nation. And it makes me reflect on what we've been doing, you know, that it's slavery is so prevalent in the United States that, you know, we've said, you know, that this has to be at the United Nations because it's clearly in violation, you know, of Section 4 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights put out by the United Nations. And so here the U.S. houses the United Nations, and yet it's the biggest perpetrator of its own laws. So we definitely need something to go on with that. Yeah, Gil Scott Haram is one of those brothers, you know, like, like you said, we're students. And in my studies of him, he's one of those people, uh, poets, spoken word artists, who are in various universities because their poetry is so profound and so tightly packed with this profoundness that you need to really dissect it, what's being said right. here. Because he didn't just say things because he felt like talking. You know, there was a lot of thought that went into this while keeping it so down to earth and using the vernaculars of his time. Like, mm-hmm. when he, in the one verse he was saying, call my brother a junkie because he ain't got no job, no job, no job. And he was talking about these uh, whistles, you know, all these and bells that they're using out there and saying, well, you know, remember the crack epidemic. Those are junkies. Isn't that what Biden called us? We were crackheads right. and junkies. But when it came along for something else, opium and meth, suddenly it's a different story. They're unemployed and they're in depression and they're trying to deal with it the best way that they can. <laughs> you know? Right. So, and then he said, told my old man to leave me when times got hard. I remember when they was incarcerating all of us, and then they had these uh, fatherless families who could not support themselves got aid from the government. And guess what that aid came with? Uh, a stipulation that the men who had been serving time in these prisons and jails for profit and control could not come mm-hmm. to those houses, could not be in them. If they slept one night in them, you lost everything. <laughs> you were taken right. off the road, kicked out of your house, and all that loss. And they did that on purpose. And he was like, you know, you told my mother that she got to carry me all by herself. And that did mm-hmm. create quite the movement of we don't need men. <laughs> we could do this by right. ourselves. We're independent women. You know what I mean? Like the family structure wasn't even necessary anymore. We we don't need y'all, you know. And let me tell you something, man. I've been married for 30, I'm going closer to 40 years than, than not. And uh, mm-hmm. we needed each other. <laughs> we needed we we need each other right now. You know what I mean? Right. We could not have done it alone. It's it's that yin and yang that uh, we we try to achieve. Anyway, he was really deep in this stuff and what he was talking about. And with uh, reparations in particular, as I said, 
it's something that everyone needs to have a discussion in on, but at the same time, you cannot leave out the fact or ignore the fact that slavery is still in practice and is still happening to us right now. So when you say descendants of the of slaves, you might be talking about your son or your daughter or yourself. Right. Right, because it's Cause, still ongoing. Know, it's still ongoing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. And um, and and when you 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 have to end the thing that's causing the damage first. Right. Before you can get the relief, because it's the relief and ending. But you can't put the and I, and I mean that ties into the racial wealth gap. I understand why people want reparations, but I don't think they're foreseeing that just getting the money with slavery still active. It's not going to change it the way you think it will because you could just easily get the money and, you know, they ha- they have all of these illegal searches and seizures going on out here, so they just take it all from you. You could end up in prison on trumped-up false charges. The money gets seized because this is what they do. They seize the money even when they don't even have uh, grounds. You know, a person can get arrested and everything gets seized from them without them even getting convicted. And it takes years for them to get it back. We we uh, highlighted a person who last year got his truck taken, and it took him six years. He had to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to finally get his truck back. You know, you mentioned uh, about uh, – well, basically – about people doing crimes and uh, one of the things that I've had to experience in my career as an abolitionist is the narrative that don't do the crime if you can't do the time right hmm. and that right. tells you that anybody that this system has ever locked up deserved it because uh, you know they must have did the crime that's why they do in the time right uh, and there's no exceptions to this rule. And even among advocates, I see that very same thing where they'll highlight uh, many inmates, <clears throat> right? And those inmates will make appeals uh, for leniency and mercy because they are certainly being denied their rights and treated like animals and property. Once you've been duly convicted, you're no longer human to them. You're uh, property of the state. So they're certainly enduring all these horrible things, but you don't hear anything from the wrongfully convicted. Like, there ain't none in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, those voices right. don't get heard that much. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have been railroaded. We've highlighted many of them here on this show, like Ricky Kidd and uh, Dr. Uh, what's this? Dr. Stewart, right? Uh, many mm-hmm. of them. Ricky Kidd spent 23 years wrongfully convicted. Every year, Hundreds of them are coming out as the cases are being brought up. Uh, And we know that the system has always been racially biased from convict lease until today. They've targeted specific communities. So to say something like, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, totally negates the facts and the actual history of the United States, what they have been doing all along, without exception, and no days off. Um, so I, I really 
hope to hear in the future, not just for those who may be serving time for something that they may have done wrong, but also those who have been hustled into this damn system and never did nothing wrong at all. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you just did not pay that damn fine. Guess what happened? You know, or this was your third strike, so guess what happens? Uh, Right. It happens every day, all day. And one of the brothers that really did that was, of course, Gil Scott-Haran. He was talking about Angola when nobody was talking about Angola. You know what I mean? Right. How about that? Right. Back in 1980s, uh, Angola prison, which is the size of Manhattan and in a state that has not one but two uh, exceptions to allow them to uh, use slavery and convict leasing. And they still had black men picking cottons in the field at gunpoint in 2022. At gunpoint. So back in the 80s, Gil Scott Haran did that. And uh, we have a track of it. Uh, Do you want to add more commentary or you want to keep going with Brother Gil? No, I want to get into it. You know, it's tough because, you know, we have all these Gil Scott Heron tracks. And (laughs) I'd be ready to just press play on everything. But, of course, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we have to give our commentary you know, and show how it ties in and as as to, you know, what we're doing. But definitely, I think this is a great track right here. Uh, you, were you thinking of doing the Curtis Davis one? Yes. Okay. So Awesome. So you want to intro it? You can intro it. All right. So this is a, brother, a quote from Brother Curtis Davis, who is the – uh, director for Decarcerate Louisiana and a part of the Abolish Slavery National Network. He's also been a guest on our program here. He spent 25 years in Angola prison. So this is a clip from him, followed by Gil Scott Haram's Angola. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Farthest and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back. Abolition, Abolition. Today. Today. Where did you serve your time? I served my time in um, Louisiana State Penitentiary, better known as Angola. Um, it's probably the largest uh, maximum security prison in the United States of America. It is definitely the last penal colony on the planet Earth. A penal colony is a place that you send people away to go in order to die, not just to do time. Ninety-seven percent of the people that are incarcerated in Angola are actually going to die there as a result of their incarceration. We call it death by incarceration. Instead of getting lethal injection or electric chair or firing squad or hanging, they use the system, the actual time, in order to grind you down until you die. Pictures of deals in back alleys 
Abolition. Abolition. So you just heard a uh, clip of Cliff uh, Curtis Davis. I believe he was speaking to the State Assembly that day, and that was followed up by Gil Scott Heron's Angola. And just one particular paragraph sticks out so much to me where he says, I've been painting a picture of Angola, Louisiana, down in St. Charles Parish where the sun won't go alone. Yet, but injustice is not confined to Angola, Louisiana. Well, it could be in your living room. Then he says, Brother Tyler, hold on, be strong. You're not alone. Said, I got a letter from his mother that said, please say something to my son. Truth is, well, Angola, Louisiana, you're the one. And this is talking about a story by a young brother by the name of Gary Tyler. And there were riots, racial, well, not even racial riots, the, the white supremacists of the day were attacking the black students down there in St. Charles Parish. Uh, yes, segregationists. Uh, it was a particular high school called Destrahan High School, and some some people ended up, uh, uh, I believe it was uh, one person wound up dead and several other got, others got injured. Right. Yeah, so that's... Gary Tyler was 17 years old. They convicted him of first-degree murder by an all-white jury. You know, they put him on death row, and then uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, removed the death penalty from the case, and he still spent many years in there until the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in 1980 ruled that the charges, or he was convicted on unconstitutional charges, and his trial overall was fundamentally unfair. You it know, was so, all white jury <laughs> with a 60-year-old black right. kid in Louisiana during segregation. <laughs> you know, an all-white jury. And uh, right. the first time they didn't find no gun on that school bus, but then he said something apparently talking back to these uh, slave catchers. They beat, his, beat uh-huh. him up, put him in jail, charged him with murder, and then went and looked at the bus again and suddenly found a pistol that came from the sheriff's gun range. And that freaking pistol suddenly disappeared after a few months. <laughs> like the evidence right. just vanished. You know what I mean? He spent 41 years in prison. And he, they didn't let him out until he pled guilty after his case had been deemed unconstitutional but not retroactive, him and others like him, right? These all-white jurors. Right. And then when it was all done, he had to plead guilty. And when he pled guilty after 41 years, they sentenced him to 21 years and let him go that day. <laughs> like, this is just a crazy case. And right. that's what I love Stole about his whole life. He highlighted stuff like that because we have uh, Gary Tyler's out there right now today in Louisiana in the same prison going through the same right. damn thing. Um, right. Brother, uh, Alonzo. Um, Alonzo. Brother Alonzo is an example, right, in Louisiana's mm-hmm. Angola prison right now. It's a freaking slave plantation, America. You got a prison bigger than Manhattan which is a former slave plantation that is currently housing like 80 or 85% black population in a state where they don't make up 30% of the population. <laughs> and they're still right. picking cotton in fields. Well, what is wrong with you? You don't know the Constitution and you can't recognize slavery. 
and a large percentage of them were convicted by non-unanimous juries. So they weren't even constitutionally convicted. And they're sitting there as monuments to Jim Crow. That's what they are, monuments to Jim Crow. Um, I think there's over 1,500 who were convicted by Jim Crow juries, and then the Jim Crow juries in both Louisiana and in Oregon, they were the only two that were doing that, where you could use Mm -hmm. uh, uh, only 10 of your 12 jurors' verdict (laughs) to be able to uh, pass life sentences and death penalties on people. Uh, But they found it to be unconstitutional, but they never made it retroactive. And then the first time they tried to make it retroactive, it was denied. So we like we want to keep these Negroes up in these prisons and jails because they making us money. They're gonna die here. That's how we like it. You know, right. what did Curtis Davis call it? Death by incarceration. Cruel, exactly. cruel system. All right, man. That uh, Gil has got me going tonight, man. You know, poetry month. Um, listening yeah. to his wisdom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He he is. A mentor of mine, uh, who is deceased, of course, but still a mentor of mine. Uh, all my other mentors, I managed to spend physical time with quite a bit. You know, with Amiri Baraka and Abio Oyewole, uh being my, two of my core mentors. Gil was the only one I never got to meet, uh, physically meet, or even perform with. At the, you know, I always wanted to, um, but he was the one I never got to. I, man, could you imagine me and Gil? <laughs> I would feel like, wow, <laughs> that'd be amazing. Yeah, man. Just, just knowing that I'm there with him and he's watching him do his thing. I, I don't even know what I would you, uh, have a request or not. Would you have a request? <laughs> yeah, it would be tough. Um, it would be dot, tough. Dot, edit, dot, dot, dash. <laughs> you, you know, code. the ghetto code, man. <laughs> yeah. And I, I actually incorporated that in a in a speech that I gave a couple of weeks ago where I was talking about code, you know, being a software engineer, and I was talking about code and how, you know, code levels the playing field because there are no barriers to entry. It's not like you need some type of degree or certification to get into coding and I talked about how we've always been exposed to code whether it's our genetic code or you know the code of Hammurabi or just talking about the glyphics and then I came all the way down to I said well the black codes and then also Gil Scott's ghetto code you know (laughs) and I saw several people kind of like look down at their phones and I'm like I wonder if they're looking that up to see what that is and for anyone that just heard that for the first time yeah look it up Gil Scott uh, Heron is called the Ghetto Code. Dot dot did it dot dot dash. <laughs> Damn if I know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's, that's definitely worthy of hearing, man. Well, I wanted to play it tonight, but it's 13 minutes long, so I was like, if we play it out in the air, we got to really make a special round of it or something. But it's nothing wrong with you going ahead and checking it out if you're listening right now. Just go ahead and Google it, look it up, and, exactly, uh, and listen to it when you get a chance. It's uh, work on uh, also on Watergate was incredible. <laughs> that was awesome. Like right, was and although you didn't time. get to perform with Gil Scott, you actually got to perform with his daughter. Yeah, I, I did, and that was uh, one of the uh, one of those special moments in my life. Uh, you know, you mentioned I never got a chance to meet her father, 
Uh, but one day, mm-hmm. her and I were both invited to a radio program with Epiphany Castro back in 2010. And we said, you know, <laughs> we should do a collaboration right here and right now. <laughs> and you know how poets are. Uh, we already got stuff to say. So let's just pull it together, and boom, we did. Uh, and that was pretty awesome, magical moment. Well, you want to share the track with everyone? Uh you can do the honors. <laughs> so this is one of my favorite tracks. This is Max Parthas and Gil, uh, Gia Scott Heron, the daughter of Gil Scott Heron. And the track is called Rise Up. And this was at Epiphany's house in 2010. Abolition. 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 And when your head is down and you think they've got you, that's when you become tricky and alter your tactics. Rise up when death and hell dwell among all God's children. When those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. And when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When stuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up when famine claims millions. When justice gives blind eyes to billions. If the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the sea spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, and if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up when innocent citizens perish for all our sins' sake. If the future seems bleak and your soul's at stake, rise up when it appears that any hope left may already be lost. And if the price is your son or your daughter's life and you refuse to pay the cost, if you ever had to ask God why, then thunder rose. If you just once had to wonder, have we sold our souls? Rise up for the life of an unborn child. When the homeless are reviled and the masses are beguiled, rise up when our doctrines dictate that we all deal in death. When we stop giving more and we start caring less. If the best you can do has already been done. If the battle isn't won and the fighting just begun. If you don't see none and know we really need one cheer, rise up. 200 or so years ago, you said it was God's will that I be a slave for life. I had to serve you day and night because I was black and you were white. I wasn't even human. An animal just like the cattle, that's what white folks was assuming. 40 or so years ago, I couldn't vote. I was told to go back to Africa. Well, damn, where's the boat? You ones who brought us here in the first place. Why'd you go to all the trouble if you didn't like our race? How about this? You give me your money and I'll book the next flight. Well, it's the least you could do after messing up my life and treating me like a second-class citizen just because I ain't white. I'm worried about the effects, y'all, what all the murders, lies, and sex are doing to me. See, these days, we're still being trampled on by the enemy, but still I rise. See, the problem is the TV programs are starting to program me. The media has paralyzed and desensitized my sense of sensitivity to the point where the news ain't really new to me because every other minute you hear about another killing. So much blood spilling, I feel like I'm river rafting or kayaking and instead of really living, I'm just swimming in TV programs swarming me like locusts. My eyes are open wide, but my third eye is out of focus because when you add it all up, ADD is built upon conditioning. I owe my case of ADD to rapid channel surfing, and while I sit in front of the idiot box, my energy's being wasted. I start to look and feel as though I've been heavily sedated, eyes glazed in a vegetable-like state. 
looking like a straight basket case. She has become lazy, myself included. The TV's pimping me and my energy's being prostituted because I don't find a useful way to use it. We don't even realize that we're helping the enemy. They wouldn't be able to pull the wool over our eyes so easily if we spent less time watching TV and more time reading our history. If we did, we'd see that history tends to play out like a skipping CD or a rerun on TV or one of those cookie-cutter videos they used to show on MTV. See, what's really scary is us sitting in our homes. Pop culture is king and we are all clones, temporarily secure behind our locked doors, watching reality TV until our own lives aren't so real anymore. So we gotta rise, y'all. Get back to our real existence and our lives, y'all. It's time to rise up, y'all. Rise up. And when your head is down, they got you. That's when you become tricky and fall to your tactics. If you don't see none and know we really need one, rise up. So what happens her was just done off the cuff. It was yeah. not for her. Abolition. 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 All right. That was uh, yours truly, along with the daughter of Gil Scott Haran, Gia Scott Haran, doing an impromptu rise up on Epiphany's house. Uh, magical moment, like I said. If you want to join the conversation, we're at 515-605-9814. 515-605-9814. If you call in, please press 1 if you have a question or a comment, so that'll put you in queue. Because a lot of people just call in to listen through their phone uh, rather than streaming it. So make sure you remember to press one if you have a question or comment. Yusuf? Yeah, man. One of my favorite tracks there. Rise up. And you you and Gia just dropped so many jewels in that track. And I, I believe Gil Scott would have loved it. He would have been sitting oh, here, you know. Yeah, he, he would have really been sitting here, you know, giving you high praises for that song, man, because – a lot was said. I mean, I wish it was some way. I, I've never seen it in written form to really, like, analyze it. But it was just, like, so many things that popped out as I was hearing them. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk about that when they're done. And it's just, if I had to pick something out of the, out of there, I just couldn't. It's too many things that y'all talked about. Oh, yeah, and she is her father's daughter. She was able to convey that information down into these powerful quote smacks and string them together so you were getting the education and liked it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, your head is not like, yeah, tell me more. <laughs> you know? Uh, she's right. definitely on point with that. Uh, I think we got a hand up. Let's go ahead and bring a, a caller in. Uh, I think that's, that might be Tag. Oh, that might be yes, Tag. Peace, family. Hey, what's up? Tag, peace, brother. Peace, peace. It's, it's great to hear that rise up. It's been a minute. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, classic peace. We both happened to have a poem called Rise Up, and we was like, you know what? Let's put them together. <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent, strong work, and, and really feeling the tribute to to the legendary Gil Scott Heron. So just huge shouts, and uh, just wanted to – See if y'all had heard anything about what's been going on uh, with our our freedom fighter uh, brother Jaleel, our elder freedom fighter brother Jaleel out here with uh you know with these slave patrollers etc. Uh, basically whining and uh, protesting 
against him speaking at uh, at one of these universities out here in New York State. H- have you all heard anything about that? Uh, go ahead and give us the 411. Absolutely. So just concisely, basically, they seem to have uh, taken issue with the fact that uh, Brother Jaleel is slated to speak on April 6th, this coming Wednesday, uh, to speak at a, one of these SUNY schools called uh, Brockport College. Uh, out out by where he's staying since since he's been released, and uh, you know I guess the the PBA and the rest of these slave patrollers got wind of it. Some of these Republican selected officials, and uh, yeah, they've just been making it a problem uh, for these past few weeks, uh, raising raising you know all kinds of uh, just just complaints about you know oh. He's he's not a political prisoner and and uh, he he doesn't deserve to speak to the students, so they had to they had to move the event online. So now it's online. Right now it says that the registration's closed and there's just all kinds of sus sus um, you know activity going on around it. These these patrollers uh, they have like a local group out there apparently called the Locusts. They they've been having their little demonstrations and back the blue this and that nonsense. So it's, it's, uh, you know, another, another skirmish in this, uh, in the broader abolitionist war out here. And, uh, you know, figured those that listen to abolition today would, would be interested and ideally, uh, can come through and, and support, uh, when it happens, uh, if they open the registration back up. Um, we're talking Absolutely. about the brother that's also known as H. Rap Brown, right? No, oh, no, no. no. So, oh, he's, he... Okay. That, that's uh, that's Imam that's Imam uh, Jamil Alamine. Uh, this is okay, this okay. is uh, Jaleel Muntakim. Right. All right. Jaleel Abdul Muntakim, formerly known as Anthony Bottom. You know, tremendous history behind his entire story. He spent 49 years incarcerated. He got a he got denied parole. So in New York, when they uh, come up for parole. Say a person gets sentenced to 25 to life. At that 25, did they go before the parole board and the, you know, the parole board to hit them with two more years, and then they come back in two years and come back in two years. Brother Jaleel had 11 parole denials. Then he actually had gotten approved for parole, but then somehow it got overturned and they and they took it away from him again, and then he was finally released in, uh, I believe it was October. November 2020, somewhere around it, and he finally got released. And, of course, the police unions, you know, all across the country were against it because, you know, he was he was charged, you know, with, with uh, crimes against the police, you know, during an era where there was – the police were actually warring with the Black Panther Party, you know, so – that's why they'll never consider him to be a political prisoner. We know that everything about his incarceration was political. You know, the many things that happened to him while he was incarcerated, the many books that he wrote, the many times that he tried to silence him. And, of course, he, along with uh, uh, New Washington, Albert Washington and Herman Bell, you know, it's just a lot of information be- behind those cases, and, I mean, it, it it even ties in when you start talking about Asata Shakur and uh, Dr. Matulu Shakur, 
Sundiata, Coley, you know, all of these are political prisoners because it's more politics is the reason of them being behind incarceration than any crime that they've been charged with, Max. Yeah, he's also co-founder of Jericho Movement, and uh, he was instrumental in the We Charge Genocide uh, charge, the mm-hmm. National Tribunal in 2021, uh, and the March on Washington, the Jericho March on Washington in 98 as well. I was just reading some Absolutely. of that article that you're talking about, Tag, and uh, I want to read what uh, SUNY Brockport's Department of Council Education said. He said, academic freedom gives faculty a great deal of autonomy to invite guests of their choosing to campus to address our students. They have a right to pursue research, discuss subject matter, engage in dialogue, and invite speakers to the campus. SUNY Blockport believes in freedom of speech and wants to continue to encourage willingness to the community to engage in critical and respectful dialogue. We have routinely held speaking events involving speakers from various backgrounds and viewpoints and will continue to do so. Yeah, they also had, like, I've been on there. Um, Brother out of Alabama has been on there. Um, Marvin Ray, he was out there. Um, mm-hmm. Who else is out there? Kinetic Justice <laughs> was on the program with them, and then a few others right. that I can think of. So yeah, they do uh, want to hear those voices, and he's calling from the phone like everybody else, right, Dad? So he was going to be there live, and so because of all this pressure from these slave patrollers, they moved it to to a virtual meeting, and now even the virtual meeting. They're they're saying that the registration is closed, so it's it's a lot it's a lot of sus behavior going on, and we we all know that uh, you know all roads lead lead to slavery out here, uh, in, in under this plantocracy. So you know you you don't have to, you know, be some kind of uh, wizard to figure out you know how what what's happening and 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 why. And you know the PBA has been making all kinds of statements. Uh, referring to him as an assassin and this and that, and uh, really just going going back into the same playbook that they've been going to, you know, through uh, against him, you know, and, and his comrades for all these decades. Decades. And we were just decades, reading about the other right. brother, Gary Tyler, going in at 16, being framed, and then spending 41 years in, and finally being forced to plead guilty to a crime he didn't commit where he had pled not guilty all that time. Uh, yeah, this is how they do it. They, 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 their grudges last forever. You know, they want us to die of incarceration, one of the worst deaths possible in a hellhole. Um, it's horrible. It is, Thanks. and 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 oh, okay. of, of of course, anytime. Thank you. And I just wanted to to mention a name. You you mentioned about he was going to be released earlier. A judge was finally going to release him after all of those decades inside in part so that he could avoid catching COVID inside as an elder. And this was vetoed ultimately by the, the, uh, this, this selected official, um, Tish James, who is, you know, is being talked about as a possible uh, nominee for governor and is constantly trying to cloak herself in some sort of, you know, representational politics, uh, you know, that, that she's about the, the black cause or this and that. This is the the individual that ultimately signed signed uh, Brother Jaleel up for getting COVID, which he ended up 
getting and becoming hospitalized behind that. Yeah, and all these years behind bars, he still managed to be an inspiration to many and to achieve wonderful uh, heroic deeds. And uh, they hate him. <laughs> they hate any of us who are up there trying to make a difference uh, in our world around us, inside and out. Uh, but especially those who they have accused decades and decades of, of uh, crimes and uh, still hold these grudges for things that may or may not even have happened. Like with the brother we talked about earlier, it didn't even happen. It was a frame. Yeah, thanks for that, bro. All right, if anybody else has questions, yeah, definitely. Comment, remember to press one. Peace. Word, bro. Peace. Peace. So, yeah. It's just heartbreaking, man, to hear these stories, uh, how they're doing us. <laughs> but Gil, Gil had a way with letting us know and giving us mm-hmm. insights. I think his biggest, and I mentioned this to you earlier off uh, the program, one of the things that really influenced me was his ability to ask questions. And then once he got answers or you know at least interesting things about the question, he was able to relay that to us to help understand and critical use critical thought even more. Uh, he was coming mm-hmm. up in the time when Amir Baraka was teaching the same thing that, you know, you go around the world every day and it's, it's affecting you and you you need to understand how the world works, you know, and as an artist, right. you have an obligation to share what you learn. And if you're not trying to learn how the word world works, and I think Mary said, basically, you're a stupid person. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just let them do whatever you're going to do, and you you don't even care how it works. And that's right. where we're at with the opening track of the whole program, that most people don't even know what the Constitution says. That's like having a bank account, and you don't know what the balance is. <laughs> I got some money. I don't know how much money, but there's money there. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Or what they do with this little plastic card that they gave me. <laughs> right. You, know, say, you don't know how much your balance is. What good is it to you? you? You go out and buy a car and get denied, and then you go buy a sandwich and you make it. You know, I'm somewhere between a sandwich and a car. Okay. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying, like, it is in, It is imperative. It's on you, whoever's listening right now, and you should tell the people around you the same thing. You've got to learn your constitutional rights. How else can you defend yourself? It's why they're being violated. Because they're like, well, they don't care. <laughs> why should we care? They don't care what their rights are. I don't need to care either. That's how they're doing it. So I take it you're telling me that there's no such thing as a Superman. Is that what you're telling me? And no one's going to um, come in and, and, and rescue us all? Well, he was also good with double and tron days, you know. <laughs> And I think mm-hmm. yeah, that can apply, but also it apply. What else applies is this belief that there's someone out there that is a superior race, um, you know, and there's some kind of Superman you need to emulate uh, and, and be like. And there ain't no such thing as a Superman. And we see a lot of people try to adapt to the system, not to end it, but to find a comfortable position for them to earn money off of it and earn a living and all these different things that they need to have uh, instead of trying to dismantle that system. Uh, just working towards being a Superman, <laughs> you know what I mean? But there ain't no such thing as a Superman. 
And uh, I think you're referring to that track with uh, uh, Brother Consciously, Consciously, right? Yeah. Yeah. Consciously, man, he'd be on point. I've listened to a few of his joints, uh, his uh, his takes on things. Jeanette introduced us to him, um, and mm-hmm. we put him on the program a, a couple months ago uh, alongside Gil Scott Harans. And I think it was a great combination. You want to enter it? Absolutely. Let's get to it. All this right. is Consciously on Black Sellouts. You have Cobus on drums and Gil Scott Herons. Ain't no such thing as a Superman. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parsons and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after this track. Abolition. 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 Yeah. Abolition. 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 And you'll be able to understand the psychology behind selling your own people out for your personal gain. You know what I'm saying? The internet ain't really showing nothing new. All the internet give us is different ways for people to deal old tactics into, you know what I'm saying, the virtual reality. You know what I mean? But it's always been old people. You know what I'm saying? It's always been people that's going to tap dance for a little bit of white comfort. You feel me? It's always been people that's going to, you know what I'm saying, be both angles to make sure that white people accept them and pick them. You know what I mean? When we talk about Mandingo fighting, when we talk about, you know what I'm saying, the literal notion of being a sellout or a house Negro mentality, all these are terms, all these are concepts that get, let you know that the, that the ideology of being able to sell your people out for yourself ain't nothing new. You know what I'm saying? It's really made me think about how in the hood, a lot of us will try to measure somebody's success based off of how close they are to white people. We'll measure somebody's success, success based off of how far away they are from black people. You know what I'm saying? You know, dickhead Dawson, or you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, Candace Owens, that's really what they be doing. You feel me? They really just be trying to appeal to white people, trying to prove that I'm not like those Negroes over there. You know what I mean? Just like that's what they'll go, what they'll do. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not, it's not nothing new. You know what I'm saying? It's not nothing new. You know? Colonialism and slavery would not exist without those types of individuals, those outliers of the community that's going to identify with being able to prove that humanity by dominating and being violent to other people. Oh, it fell down to the ground 
on Black Sellouts, Kovis on drums, Gil Scott Heron, ain't no such thing as Superman, or as a Superman. Max? Um, man, he is so right. Uh, just a few days ago, I watched a documentary called America's Black Upper Class, Rich, Successful, and Empowered. And it was done by DW, which is a German public broadcast service. Uh, so this wasn't mm-hmm. American media, media. This was Germans talking about it. And they was saying how, you know, 1.3% of uh, blacks are millionaires. And they pointed out uh, a number of individuals who had made it. Uh, one brother was worth $700 million, Don Peebles, uh, the person that was on it. Uh, then they had another young lady who was making a million a year. Uh, so she had become a millionaire and a few others who had become millionaires. And uh, they follow this capitalistic work. You know what I mean? Like they're making their niche, that 1.3% that's out there. But their combined wealth could feed the lower, what is it, like 40% or more that's in poverty, you know? 
Like just the extra right. that they make. The seven hundred million dollars in down peoples could take care of blacks' uh, uh, poverty in the United States uh, if he just uses some of some of it. So you know, sometimes I wonder just what is that gaining us? It's just really giving. You get to live a decent life. You get to have some security until Popo rolls up for whatever reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and then it doesn't right. really matter anymore because you know, like Kanye said, what they see you as. But what does it gain you if poverty is still increasing in the black community? Uh, Cajun is still lacking sorely. Equality is still in terrible conditions, you know, and that we're worse off now than we were at the march on in 63 on Washington. Uh, how is that a game? Is it a, it's a game for you? And I just don't think that they see, I don't think collectively there's a sense of responsibility. Yes, sir. Yeah, and I agree. You know, uh you know, there's always this uh like this this idea of, you know, getting rich and going to get out the hood. And what we see happen over time is that when the people who are able to get into these, you know, high earning positions you know, and many, you know, many, you know, become more educated or they have, you know, other resources and they're able to move away. So what that starts doing is stripping the community of people from the community. You start having right. other people moving in who have other interests, you know, other ideas, and they're coming, many come to exploit the neighborhood. You know, it's one of the main reasons that there's an occupying force, you know, in the community like that, to just prey on the people. And, you know, the people who are in positions, you know, are, you know, whether they're lawyers, judges, doctors, you know, that come from the community, they're not there who being able to spend the resources in the community, those resources are going to other communities. And so that leaves Uh that huge gap for people to just be preyed on, and then you have those others sitting up in their ivory castles looking down their nose talking about, you know, what's wrong with them? Why can't they get it together? You know, and it's like, well, because, you know, one of the main reasons is that the people who can do abandon them. That's one of the main reasons, and we know – that even with us talking about slavery abolition all the time, that there are, you know, people who have more power, more influence, more resources that are out there pitching another narrative. They look like us, but they pitch another narrative, and they're the ones that are always on camera, always talking about all these other issues that have nothing to do with slavery abolition, Max. I don't want to provide blanket blame, of course, because there are those who still right. contribute to their, their hoods where they came from. But it would sure. seem to me that the majority of us are raising up uh, kids who are resources to the community, and their only desire is to get the hell out of it, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. go somewhere else and do something else, you know. Uh, right. So imagine if those resources maintained, like uh, I heard a discussion about the World Cup and how France won, and a lot of their players, of course, are Africans who are French citizens now. And uh, uh-huh. 
they was talking about, you know, how they called them Africa. And France got upset to the point where the diplomat from France had to send a letter to, uh, what's the young brother from South Africa's name that does a daily show? Um, Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. Had to send him a letter saying, look, these are not Africans. These are French people, French citizens. And don't take away uh, from them being French by saying they're Africans. They're proud to be French. They were born in France and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, why can't they be both? You know what I mean? But the idea, what I'm pointing at here is how France is saying, no, you can't be African. You got to be French. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which means, like with us, is like, no, we can't be North First Street, First Ward, Patterson, New Jersey. We got to be uh, Paramus. We got to move over to Wayne. We got to go over there. <laughs> yeah. And help, uh-huh. yeah. You know what I mean? And so the community just keeps going further further into poverty and and terrible conditions. Yeah, Absolutely. It's <laughs> but but there's a brighter day. And the last track that we have to play as far as before we get to our bridging the gap segment, you know, shows uh-huh. uh the work that's being done. You know, that we have this huge movement going in the country that many people still don't even know about and it's gonna have such a huge impact. You know, we start talking about abolishing slavery within the state or abolishing slavery from the U.S. Constitution. Like, many people still don't really get the maximum impact that that's going to have. That many think it's just, oh, you're just removing words. But those 47 words, they created a monster with those words, Max, and removing them away. We see how many systems are going to fall down and crumble and become diminished and how much money and resources are going to go to other areas when this happens. Sounds like a good segue. We only got a few minutes, so let's go ahead and get into it. All right. Yeah, so uh-huh. it seems, seems like this is a, this is Max and Gil Scott. <laughs> we got a lot <laughs> of tracks with you tonight. Uh, this well, is you up, and yeah. Mark Hughes uh, speaking uh, the abolished slavery Vermont. I believe this is your testimonies, right? Um, I'm not quite sure. It, it, no, no. This is when we were here on the program. This, I think it's a clip from our program when he okay, was here as a guest. So, got you. But we're here. We had uh, Mark Hughes speaking on abolished slavery in Vermont where you all heard that we'll all be there for Juneteenth this year. We're going to have a gathering of slavery abolitionists coming to a Juneteenth rally to teach people that we're not celebrating the ending of slavery, that slavery still exists, and here's how we're going to get it done to have it abolished. And that's going to be followed up by Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson, a toast to the people. So you're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back. Abolition Today. In any case, as far as the national efforts are concerned, at this point, we have abolished slavery in four states now. Uh, We have two states that are already on the ballot to be voted on in November of 2022. That's Oregon and Tennessee. Uh, We also have an additional nine states like yourself, 
that has legislation that could put them on that same ballot in 2022. They're going through committees now, like California, uh, for, for example. And then in addition to that, we have grassroots organizations working with legislators across an additional 20 states to get their legislation in two sessions so that we can have all of the states involved, like Texas is on for 2023 and Louisiana is on for 2023. Our goal is to see this thing annihilated on paper, to end slavery in the United States for the first time, which will open up doors of possibilities that have never existed before because we never ended slavery. And every time we challenge these slave-like conditions, whether it be labor or warehousing bodies or Eighth Amendment constitutional violations, Whenever we challenge them, we are hit by a brick wall called the 13th Amendment. The court and the judges will say, well, it says you can do that right here. Not only does it say it in the federal, it says it in your state. And we want to see a world where that is not there. What would happen if we don't have that brick wall? We've never had the opportunity to find out. And so now we see the light at the end of the tunnel with so many states involved. This is not something that might happen. Uh, This is not something we wish is going to happen. This is something that is happening right now, in real time. One of the most epic uh, collection of states working together to achieve a single goal in the history of the United States. And it's very much under the radar of mass media. But we hope, uh, with the participation of media that you have here today, that the word will get out that this is something that is happening. If you've seen 13, that told you what the problem is. We are the answer. We are the solution, and we're dealing with it right now. We are dealing with it right now, and I, I think the, um, you know, what, what I'm gratified about is, is that there is a, there's a peeling back, if you will. There's a, there's a, there's a crack opening up. There's a light that's coming on that, you know, I, I said, um, I was listening to, um, um, I was listening to an artist. Uh, the Reverend Sakur, I think his name is, and he said, he said, what a time to be alive. Uh, what a time to be alive. And, and then he said, the revolution has come. I said, wow. And, and I, I think about where we are and where we're living right now in this time of all times that we could have lived, um, of any place we could have been, um, that, you know, that we would be um, entrusted with this um this awesome opportunity uh, to to take the United States of America to a place where it's never been before, uh, where we are actually a nation um, without slavery, without slavery.
abolition today. A toast to the people. A toast to the people. Yeah, that was uh, me and Reverend Mark Hughes, uh, and we were doing a discussion called Abolish Slavery Vermont, which they do every week. So uh, they had to press there that day, and I was appealing to them as well. And that was followed by Gil Scott Harans and Brian Jackson, a toast to the people, uh, because you're the ones making this happen. Like, for instance, since that came on, that track, I said we had two states on the ballot. We're, We're up to five now. (laughs) <laughs> and that was just right. a couple of months ago I said it. And now we got five on the ballot So we are not playing this this game We are going for the throat on this one Harriet Tubman said Never wound a snake Kill it mm. So we're going to go ahead kill and kill it, it. Kill it and, Yep and you know I kind of feel Like a little bit of a cross between Frankie Crocker and Mitch, Mr. Magic tonight. You know what I'm saying? Like back in the WBLS days in Jersey. Yeah. You know, uh, with, uh, up here playing this music and poetry uh, with Brother Gil Scott Haran. Uh, and of course, you know, this movement that we're a part of and the music and poetry that goes along with it. It's just pretty awesome. I want to thank all our listeners tonight. Uh, make sure you tune in next week. Over the coming weeks, we've got some really special events lined up for you. Uh, we're going to bring in representatives from Tennessee, who's also on the ballot this year, uh, to discuss Tennessee. And we're going to be playing some Tennessee music and, and, and poetry. <laughs> and we're also doing Let's a special it. on the uh, Sugarland 95. Uh, that's in Texas, where 95 graves were discovered, who were uh, African-American men and children who had been worked to death in convict leasing plans in uh, Sugarland, Texas. So we're going to do a special on that. Uh, once again, we appreciate you. Uh, you're the ones getting this done. We're just part of the team, right, Yusuf? <laughs> That's right. It's part of the team. So uh, I just want to, yes, thank everyone for listening. Uh, thank everyone who's going to listen to this later because you weren't able to be here this evening to listen to the live broadcast. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors and partners, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Sema Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash abolition today. That page will have all the news, information, and music that you hear on the program. Also remember to text in the exception. End the exception, one word, no spaces, to 52886 and follow the prompts so you can have a petition signed on your behalf sent to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. And getting into our bridging the gap for this evening, we have 1865 Frederick Douglass speech by Leroy Heiter, and that's going to be followed by Gil Scott Heron. Peace go with you, brother. We'll be back on Sunday, April 10th, God willing. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. 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 I ask my friends who are apologizing for not insisting upon this right. Where can the black man look in this country for the assertion of his right if he may not look to the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society?
Where, under the whole heavens, can he look for sympathy in asserting this right, if he may not look to this platform? Have you lifted us up to a certain height to see that we are men, and then are any disposed to leave us there without seeing that we are put in possession of all our rights? We look naturally to this platform for the assertion of all our rights, and for this one especially. I understand the anti-slavery societies of this country to be based on two principles. First, the freedom of the blacks of this country. And second, the elevation of them. Let me not be misunderstood here. I am not asking for sympathy at the hands of abolitionists, sympathy at the hands of any. I think the American people are disposed often to be generous rather than just. I look over this country at the present time and I see educational societies, sanitary commissions, freedmen's associations and the like, all very good. But in regard to people of color in this land, there has always been more that is benevolent, I perceive, than just manifested toward us. What I ask for the black man is not benevolence, not pity, not sympathy, but simply justice. The American people have always been anxious to know what they shall do with us. Everybody has asked the question and learned to ask it early of the abolitionists. What shall we do with the black man? I have had but one answer from the beginning. Do nothing with us. Your doing with us has already played the mischief with us. Do nothing with us. If the apple will not remain on the tree of their own strength, if they are worm-eaten at the core, if they are early ripe and disposed to fall, then let them fall. I'm not for tying or fastening them on the tree in any way except by nature's plan. And if they will not stay there, then let them fall. If the black man cannot stand on his own legs, then let him fall also. All I ask is, Give him a chance to stand on his own legs. Let him alone. If you see him on his way to school, let him alone. Don't disturb him. If you see him going to the dinner table at a hotel, then let him go. If you see him going to the ballot box, then let him alone. Don't disturb him. If you see him going into a workshop, just let him alone. Your interference is doing him a positive injury. Let him fall if he cannot stand alone. Black man cannot live by the line of eternal justice. The fault will not be yours. It will be his who made the black man and established that line for his government. Let him live or die by that. 
if you will only untie his hands and give him a chance. I think he will live. He will work as readily for himself as the white man. Now a great many delusions have been swept away by this war. One was that the black man would not work. He has proved his ability to work. Another was that the black man would not fight, that he possessed only the most cheapest attributes of humanity, was a perfect lamb or an Uncle Tom, disposed to take off his coat whenever required, fold his hands and be whipped by anybody who wanted to whip him. But this war, this war has proved that there is a great deal of human nature in that black man. And that yes, he will fight. Peace go with your brother. 